A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode, and a look back at Joss Whedon's iconic shows. I'm MC, and I'm here with... Sandy. It's David. It's Jan. This week, we're reviewing Gingerbread, which is episode 11 of season 3. The story was written by Jane Espenson in Thania St. John, and the teleplay was written by Jane Espenson, and it was directed by James Whitmore Jr., and originally aired January 12th, 1999. So this is the first episode that's in 1999, I believe. Right. Oh, wow. mm, could yeah. be. Mm. And party like it's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think Buffy actually makes mention to, of that in the in the prom. And also, what, uh, party like it's 1999. Yeah, I think she makes mention of that in the prom. And Thaddeus St. John's not a name that I recognize. I think this might be the only thing she did on this. Mm. Occasionally, we get like those one-off writers on tends to be like just writing the story rather than the full mm-hmm. script yeah. yeah this episode starts out with buffy out on patrol and this is a patrol <laughs> unlike any other <laughs> and we learn suddenly slaying is not a spectator sport who knew yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because i mean she doesn't really have a problem with any of the scoobs going with but it's because it's joyce it's it's just like right. mom yeah. stop hanging around here I, I just Mom, you're Joyce. embarrassing me. You're embarrassing me in front of all those other vampires. <laughs> I do love Joyce. Is like, I thought it could be something we could share. And I'm like, oh, Joyce, you're really trying there, pumpkin, but you don't get the full picture of how this works. Which kind of will be the what happens for this entire episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she really does get a hard look at slaying. Like, I mean, she kind of has an idea before now that it's not pretty because, you know, she knows about like all of the bruises and injuries Buffy has gotten and Buffy has told her that she died. But this is like, it's somebody that she knows that Buffy has to kill. Then there's these bodies of kids. Yeah. Yeah, just the way they do it, the way they, they set up the kids, having them, like, just laid all over this, not a merry-go-round, a... Uh, so, yeah, that spinny thing. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought that was called a merry-go-round. It is a merry-go-round? Okay. Yeah, it's a merry-go-round. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't have the little horsies, Yeah, but it's still a spinny thingy, merry-go-round-ish it's thing. It's not a carousel, but it's a merry-go-round-ish thing. It is a thing. merry-go-round-ish yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 But it's, yeah, taking these really innocent people and at this really innocent place and just perverting it. And mm. ugh. This yeah, episode's I, the, really creepy. Yeah, yeah no, visually it's really messed the up. The initial sight of the kids is really harsh. Yeah. It really, really kind of kicks you in the face. We know what's going to happen, right? That this is a demony mythological thing. But mm. even if it wasn't, Joyce's... What am I trying to say? In this moment, Joyce's reaction is pretty understandable and thank you understandable right like you to oh, yeah. see that regardless of whether there are mystical things in the world is just super traumatizing well, right and also she's a, she's a mom so i think it's doubly not that 
anybody with a with a heart wouldn't see small children dead on a playground and freak out. But the fact that she's a mom, I think, is an extra kick because she really is, and so she's a very strong, you know, protective mother. So. <laughs> It's not clear at this point, but as we will see as the episode goes on, there are clearly mystical forces involved in Joyce's reactions. We will get into that later, but I think everything about this opening from Joyce finding the bodies and after the opening credits when we get the police, it is shot differently than most of the things Mm. that we see on Buffy. It's more like your law and order criminal minds thing where you're seeing like all of these police with bodies of kids. And it's like they've set up that, yeah, this mystical world is still leading to dead bodies of little kids. So, well, I mean, and I think Buffy points out that that this may not be mystical in that moment. Yeah, no, you know, Buffy, so this, this... I don't think Buffy does because I think Giles points that out to Buffy because Buffy mm-hmm. asks, right. "What kind of demon does this?" And I was kind of like, "Huh, I know this was twenty years ago, but were we really not aware that people are horrible?" Well, actually, uh, it's really funny. Uh, Buffy shot in Torrance, California. Uh, That's where the school was set, which was actually one of the places in the 80s that was really heavily affected by the satanic panic. Mm. Right, right. Right. Which, granted, was kind of countrywide, but it kind of of started in that area. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is something that came out, is a very, you know, normal thing I don't want to say normal thing to have happen, but it no, is something that but... has happened in the real world. And presumably yeah. that kind of stuff did happen in the Buffyverse. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting seeing the the discussion between Buffy and Giles, because at first she's like, what monster did this? And he's like, uh, maybe a human. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, she says, is there... Then is there a loophole in the Slayers Don't Kill rule? Mm -hmm. And of course, we'll need that in a few episodes. But does Buffy not think there are actual legal remedies for for humans who kill kids? She does bring that up in a later episode. She doesn't mention it in this one. But I do want to point out sarah's wonderful acting uh, mm-hmm. with the disgust in her voice when she said someone with a soul oh yeah this though actually we will yeah. later find out on angel that there are humans that don't have souls and actually that does lead mm-hmm. to serial killers uh, it's yes. uh, the episode i've got you under my skin just great episode uh, but we'll get to that one i will say that once again buffy's outerwear is on point yeah i mean it's totally unnecessary maybe for socal but it is definitely, a, Buffy has the best jackets. Just reiterating. And really Joyce's is. jacket is kind of cute, too. Well, Buffy, you know, has got to get that fashion from somewhere. I think yeah. That's Joyce true. Joyce, Joyce has, like, a mom look, but it's not, like, uber mom jean. You know, she's, like, a fashionable middle-aged lady, that kind of, you know, chic gallery owner working it thing. Yeah, I really do love Buffy's passion for protecting people. Like... The whole, you know, just her disgust in this this whole thing. That it's what Kendra said, that being the Slayer isn't what you do, it's who you are. I don't yeah. think even if Buffy were not, if, say, Willow were the Slayer and Buffy was in Willow's position, I think Buffy would still be as, you know, go ahead, charge into dangerous situations as she is now. 
I agree. I agree. Buffy does have a lot of empathy. She can get up in her own head and her own problems uh, get magnified by her a lot. But then this is a, a show that works on metaphor, you know, like, so I understand when Buffy as a character gets sort of wrapped up in their own, you know. Uh, so in the next scene, we get an uncomfortable lunch with Oz and Xander. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Xander. Do we think that Zant that Oz cares at all no. at this point? No. 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 No, he's he's basically just like, Are are you done yet? <laughs> I think at this point Oz has been like, you know what? I've processed this, I've talked it out with my girlfriend, I've talked it out with my internal self, and I'm over it and I can deal with this. Moving on. And Xander being Xander is just like Whoa. Yeah, he can't let it go because he knows He's an asshole. I do wonder if maybe Oz and Xander needed to have a conversation. Like, because we've obviously seen a conversation between Oz and Willow. And we've had conversation between Xander and Willow. And we even had a conversation between Willow and Cordelia. But there's kind of never been the the finish between Oz and Xander. So considering Mm -hmm. how taciturn Oz is... I kind of do understand from Xander's perspective where it's like, please mm-hmm. just tell me what's going on. Do you hate me? Are we cool? Just say something. And I'll yeah. just be like, yeah, we're cool. Pass the fish sticks. Please do more fish stick <laughs> theater. Cause that's the best thing you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Amy does look totally cute though with that hair. Cause we get our reintroduction. She does. And I'm noticing I said, I'm noticing how the hairdresser is trying to cover up those bad bangs so badly. They're doing a pretty good job, but every now and then just slips one out. So, and Joyce's mission is... One nice thing I did notice about Xander, uh, he was being very chivalrous and he gave Buffy his chair. Yes. Although I think he might have been doing that to distance distance himself from the awkwardness. Yeah. Just from the whole situation. <laughs> you can have an ulterior motive and still mm-hmm. do something nice, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's a multi-purpose chair giving. And we get a little insight about Willow when Buffy is telling the gang about Joyce coming out. And Willow's like, your mom would take the time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden we learn more about Willow's mother than we have in the entire previous to to end some seasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I I don't think we ever see her again. Do we we hear no, about we don't. her? But... We never yeah, see it's her just again. Like, yeah. We never ever see Ira, so but nope. kind of with this episode, it's kind of everything you need from mm-hmm. the Rosenbergs. Mm-hmm. Like you get exactly who they are and I can understand why they never come back because mm-hmm. it's totally fitting with the character that is set up. And I get the impression that Mr. Rosenberg's probably very similar. If not even less attentive. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like even like, you know, less. I just, yeah, no, this gives a lot of insight into Willow and her not only backstory, like her mentality, where she's at. Again, I don't love Willow this watch through and the last couple watch throughs, but some of this I'm like, well... Yeah, I get it, dude. Yeah, definitely. I think she's somebody who very much raised herself. So that's yeah. kind of yeah. why she's got like this, I'm very seldom naughty thing going on because she's always had to take care of herself. So she's had to be responsible. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ira and Sheila seem to be 
astonishingly hands-off parents. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that does really kind of fit in with everything we ever learn about them. But it's just like, from just a normal perspective, it's like, wow, you really just spend no time with your kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really interesting contrast to Xander, I think, because mm-hmm. Xander's parents are also very neglectful, but they're neglectful in different ways. Xander's parents are neglectful in a very aggressive way. Well, they're present those... and aggre- they're yeah. present and neglectful. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're they're, pre- they're present, neglectful, and abusive. I think Willow's parents mm-hmm. are just you know laissez-faire. Yeah, they're just not there. It's a different form of abuse, but it's it's I think less so than what Xander has to go through. So, yeah, I mean, I I think we get mention in some episodes, season four, maybe season five of. Uh, I think Xander makes a reference, correct me if I'm wrong, to um, his mom making him sandwiches or something like, you know, when he's living down in the basement. Mm. Am I I correct? Maybe. Possibly. That sounds reasonable. Something about it. Something with the mom and here, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I guess she's around more. But yeah, it's, 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 it's neglectful and abusive in entirely different ways. Joyce is not only on patrol, she's also at the school, and you can just see Buffy. Yes. Oh my god, mom. And does Amy actually know Joyce? I guess so. Because she says hi to her, and it's like, I have no idea that you know her. (laughs) Well, I mean, also, it's just like Amy suddenly, like, has mushroom table privileges. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I don't, well, I know, actually, especially after that spell, you would think they'd be, like, more like, hey, Amy, but they're, yeah, that spell was, look, if, if that spell was anyone's fault, it was Xander's. Well, it wasn't, (laughs) but the fact that she's still doing, you know, the fact that she's still doing spells, and even in that episode, Xander figures out she's still doing witchcraft because she, Mm -hmm tricks the 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 teacher into taking a paper that's not right. really there so right but i yeah. we've never seen any indication that any of them have any problem about people doing magic per se i mean willow's doing magic you know? i get the impression that maybe willow's hanging out with amy more because mm-hmm. she's exploring witchcraft and everything though of course we do find out in season six that amy at this point is already visiting rack it's really weird to actually think about the amy that we see in season six which i guess is the episode wrecked that she comes back and think about the fact that this episode that's there's like almost no t- there's no time for growth between this episode mm-hmm. and Wrecked for Amy. The mess that she is in Wrecked is basically, it's she's already there in this episode. We just don't see it. We just don't see Yeah, that's a really excellent point. Yeah. Are, are you implying that rats can't have personal growth? <laughs> well, they can't visit magic drug dealers. <laughs> oh, true, true. Yeah, true. Yeah, so she's in the same headspace here she's going to be several seasons on because she doesn't really remember her time as a rat no she does not like she was it's not like she was conscious in there which would have been horrible like that Mm -hmm. the implication of that is even worse that she Mm -hmm. sees and hears everything but is like a rat yeah in fact she says it feels like weeks and she hopes that larry asks her to the prom yes yeah so she's not aware of what the time that passed uh but Buffy decides to get Joyce away from her friends just as fast as possible because Joyce is 
starting to tread well, into dangerous areas. It's like, I yeah. know you guys dabble. I yes. love, I'm a dabbler. And, and you, 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 Joyce's immediate uh, conflation of cult behavior with witchcraft, with witches, is like, oh dear, that's really yeah. troubling. <laughs> now, Given the world we're in. <laughs> I think this episode is really interesting in that obviously there is some magical influence on things but mm. i'm wondering really how much of this is a spell or magical and how mm. much is mob mentality well i think the point is that it's a little bit of both it's, and it's also the way yeah. it's sort of like the demon is also playing on what's already there almost like you know an internet troll or a bot or something where you know and it's just pulling out those like inborn fears prejudices yeah. whatever and then bringing them to the surface yeah I think that's that's absolutely right. Yeah, I certainly don't think that they're brainwashed. Obviously, these children are going to manifest to Joyce, and that is definitely affecting her. But I think the yeah, I mean, and and, and yeah, in the eighty late eighties and the nineties, before the before ninety nine, there was this whole everything that's wrong is a cult when there were very few actual. Like almost right. none, like, like the bad things that were happening were not because of witchcraft. They were not because of Ozzy Osbourne. They were not because of music played backwards on a record player, but it got, you know, that in the mindset. So Joyce is probably coming from that mindset and it's also being colored by what her daughter does for a air quotes living. Mm -hmm. And, I, but I know Joyce's right. Like I know the impulse of like something really bad has happened in the world and I have to figure out how to make it feel better and but part of it is making it feel better for myself and like trying to find a proactive way to deal with which is probably a little bit of ptsd from finding two dead bodies of children so right and, and i was going to add along with the things that you were mentioning i mean it, it, this is a little bit later but um when i was in college there was the whole D, &D is going to you know playing dungeons and dragons oh, yeah. another role-playing game is also it's going to lead you to witchcraft and i think later on it became reading harry potter was going so it's that kind of thing too <laughs> right. that there's like you know, there's pop culture things that are just fantasy and people having fun. And we had to turn that into, oh, no, it's evil because there's mentions of witches or demons or, you know, supernatural stuff. So therefore, it's all, again, part of a cult and it's all going to kill you. And, and, you know, there's demons living in your basement. So yes. it, that's, that feeds into it, too. Just like this fear of not understanding things. And also in this situation, as I'm really thinking about this scene, if this was not a supernatural actually mystic town living on a hellmouth. Joyce's impulse to go out and organize and and that stuff away from the away from the supernatural element of witches and and cults mm -hmm. is really really admirable, but in this case and in this scene Buffy's like, "Mom, listen. She's basically saying, "Let me do my job and let Giles do his job um because that's what we're here for because we understand if this is something mystical we're we're gonna work on this but joyce is not under i guess i'm not making sense today no i i, I see what you're saying it, it's joyce yeah. knows that buffy's the slayer she knows giles is the watcher she knows that right. they know how to take care of these things and she's wrapped up in in this thing and she's not allowing her daughter or the team or the scoobies to do what they do She's actually constantly derailing what they do and making it harder. Also, Christina's really pretty, is what I have in my notes. <laughs> yeah. 
I think at that time also that's a little bit after you had the the group to to change the lyrics to, to label all the records and stuff like that. So I think there were a lot of well-meaning parents, particularly moms, who were trying to protect their children from the big bad world. And I think Joyce is kind of feeding into that too, where she she feels helpless otherwise. And there's all this this stuff happening. So she's undermining the Scoobies, not meaning to, because she feels like she knows better and she's mm-hmm. got to do something too. She doesn't want to just sit back and be passive. But right. I mean, like Andy said, I mean Joyce is doing what under normal circumstances one would do. Some of this is understandable, but it gets magnified eventually to the point where they're literally burning people at the stake. So <laughs> I I think one of the interesting things about this episode is that basically everything that happens, you know, there are mystical reasons for it, but mm-hmm. it's less metaphor than a lot of Buffy episodes are. Mm-hmm. It's not like this isn't a metaphor for date rape or this is a metaphor for growing up this is these satanic panic mm-hmm. moral outrage things just that happens to have a supernatural influence because if you actually read about most of these panics that have gone on all the way back to salem it's all about these stupid rumors that start and then right. grow into you know, like people you know, getting whipped up into a frenzy and hurting people, you know, sometimes killing people as in Salem or with, you know, the 80s satanic panics, you had people going to jail who had done absolutely nothing because mm-hmm. that's that's just how these things work. And here I really I think the uh, the demon is speaking to Joyce and kind of, you know, whispering all of these things in her ear. But I don't think it's actually really like putting a spell on her it's just kind of preying on this fear mm-hmm. that's inborn in most people yeah i i, I think the magnifier for the actual feelings that are there yeah i, I think it's a, it's a bit of a catalyst but it's almost like it's feeding off the the mass hysteria the mom mentality and this remind this episode reminds me a little bit of is it, the monsters are due on maple street which is the twilight mm-hmm. zone Good where the, the aliens are setting yeah. uh, an entire town off just by like and that was that was a metaphor, obviously, for the Red Panic at that point. But yeah, where it's just, it's something that's a supernatural thing that's kind of dropping crumbs, as it were, no pun intended, considering the episode. But <laughs> then, like, letting, it's, it's also, per, it's it's free will and, and nat- personal nature to actually then go with it and run with it instead of being constantly, oh, it was out of my hands. I didn't know what I was doing. I was being, you know, I was being forced or brainwashed or whatever you want to say. So yeah, it's it's a lot of that, I think. So we're already moving fairly organically into the scene with the vigil and hey, it's <laughs> Mrs. Rosenberg. Wow. Yes. <laughs> you know, she's awful. Like, she's, she's so horrible. awful. But the actress is just Oh Did yeah. I write her name down? I think I, I wrote her name down just so I get, it's probably in my notes somewhere, but um I do have it. The actress is Jordan Baker. And and she's fantastic. She sets herself up from like at the very first moment where she calls Buffy Bunny. Bunny. It's like, yes, I know exactly who you are. And of course, she seems more familiar with Joyce than she does with her own daughter. Great. Yeah. Funny because we've never seen her interact with Joyce either. She's kind of like in her own little bubble. When I saw this, I actually kind of had this thing. It's like, wait, Joyce has friends? <laughs> but no, because I mean, remember when in Dead Man's Party, she yeah, has just one friend and that friend gets turned into a zombie. <laughs> well, 
I get the impression that they know each other casually, like maybe Joyce dropped Willow off, or Joyce dropped Buffy off at Willow's maybe. place every once in a while, yeah. because they do say later when they're lighting their I, daughters I love, on fire. I love that. It's, we've got to hang out more, get coffee or something. I just, I got, we should, and we'll we should, get there, but it's We should really spend more time together after yeah. this. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. I, I think what's the great thing about how just horrible neglectful mrs rosenberg is is that it really is implied that she is a child therapist yeah yeah Uh, watching this again and read and you sort of reading into it more it's like she's she's academia but not practice does that make sense? Because there are people yeah. that are researchers mm-hmm. and stuff. Because I would hate this to be my kid's side child. Like I'd be like, no, oh, no, yeah. bye, yeah, yeah. no. Mm. But yeah. like, and she's she's saying, and I my note was, of course you wrote a paper, of course yeah. you did. I bet she's got a couple of books out there that you know were yeah. like minor successes about you know child development in the eighties. She strikes me more as an academic than necessarily an actual yeah. therapist. Yeah, you get the feeling that she goes to all sorts of symposiums and like yeah. reads papers and interacts. And she's never actually got a practice because she's too busy being an academic slash you know maybe a big fish in a small pond of you know people who do this stuff. And and, and as I was watching this, it's like. I grew up with parents who were both child uh, school psychologists and like our entire family or extended family were guidance counselors and therapists and, and social workers. I like knew her immediately. I'm like, Oh my God, it's that person. I grew up with like so many people like this. It's, it's kind of scary. So including the hands off part. Yeah. It, it seems like to me that obviously in order to become a psychologist, a social worker, a PhD, all that stuff, a psychiatrist, you have a lot of training and a lot of internship stuff. But then after you're done with all that, you can go into straight academia, become a professor, and don't have any hands-on actual clinical experience Mm -hmm. anymore. And that feels like that's who Sheila is. She's just, I write a lot of papers. Oh, I read about this thing with, oh, and, you know. And seriously, the cobbler's children have no shoes. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, of course you wrote a paper. Of course mm-hmm. you did. The scene that just keeps on giving. It really is. Because yeah. it's like you've got, yeah, the band candy sex comedy <laughs> embarrassment just comes right back. And we're just like, Joyce and Giles just can't even look at each other. Rumors about us? <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, this is actually a momentous moment. This is the first time, I believe, that any of the Scoobies come face to face with the mayor. It is. I think so. Yeah, it is. And nothing happens. It's the (laughs) only episode where the mayor is working as the mayor. Yeah. It's it's, it's like, Oh my God, it's the mayor. And he's just kind of there. (laughs) He's mayoring. No, no no interaction. (laughs) No, no, nothing. Just, which I, which I think is genius. I actually wrote, I'm like, I love that he just comes up and he's not evil. There's no agenda. And he's actually really good at mayoring, right? Mm-hmm. He's there yeah. at an event and a visual as well. He should be like, I'm not going to make a big deal about why, you know, but, but he's doing a job that a mayor would do and, you know, thoughts and prayers and all that. But, you know, he's, we've said this before. He was why- sent to a snake demon, but, you know, he's run the town for a hundred years. He's good at mayoring. I was going to say, this is why he keeps getting, you know, elected over and over again in however many decades he's been doing this because he's a good mayor but it's a really it's a really genius 
bit of writing yeah. in that we've had the mayor set up as this evil of the season. And so you have him appear in this and it kind of sets up this expectation of it's like, oh, the mayor is responsible for this because, you know, why else would they get Harry Grainer to appear in one scene? And also what the mayor is saying with this whole never again and then following it up with Joyce's speech is that there is this whole Sunnydale syndrome where everybody is kind of ignoring the supernatural until it's really thrust into their face. And Joyce is one of these people who's been able to get past that. And so the mayor is trying to keep up this masquerade of everything's fine. There are no demons. And Joyce mm -hmm. is like, no, I'm going to say a thing. <laughs> He's been shown before. It's like he wants the town to be free from troublesome influences. Yeah, I mean, his whole mission is to keep the Sunnydale syndrome going on mm -hmm. and sort of cover it up. And yeah, it is. It's a genius bit of writing to include him in this very short scene because it also makes you think before Joyce gets up and gives her speech that he may have some thing behind this. What's you know what I mean? Like, is he behind this? What's going on? And then you realize, nope, he is not behind any of this stuff. He's just doing his mayor thing. Yeah. Sunnydale syndrome has to exist because if Sunnydale syndrome does not exist, then this episode is ongoing. I mean, we saw what happened in the wish when everybody found out about the supernatural. I mean, granted that is a different situation because the demons were running the town, but everybody suddenly found out about the supernatural and were super open about it. Do you think that we would, people would be able to live their regular lives? No, they'd be terrified all of the time. And the mayor does want to keep things going the way they are. Sure. He wants to feed babies to a demon every couple of years, but as you do. As you do, yeah. That's... But even in that episode, he was concerned with infrastructure and sewers. Yeah. Right? And Joyce's speech is chilling. And the mm -hmm. scary thing is, she's not entirely wrong. I mean, no. throwing Buffy into it, I think, is a mistake. Mm -hmm. But everything else she says, it's like, yeah, kind of got a point. She does kind of have a point, but bringing Buffy... And, and you know, I, th I do think that Joyce gets better and, and I do love Joyce and I love Christine but I was like really got very angry at her watching this because she is putting her daughter not just her daughter the Slayer her daughter the person that she says she loves into a really bad position and a very dangerous position where something could go really really wrong um, and I think a lot of it is her trauma speaking mm -hmm. the, like the, the, the PTSD of it but I'm still just like Joyce you gotta st stop Think for 10 seconds and then continue your speech, maybe without having your daughter involved. Of course, she also, also does have, like, demon dead kids speaking to her. and True. Right. I think it's, it's a combination of things. It, I mean, there is certainly a psychological... She's under a lot of stress and trauma. But, but there's also these, like, dead kids whispering to her. So, right. yeah. So she's not, I, she's, not, she's not herself. Yeah, and I think a lot of this is... Joyce's real feelings about something mm -hmm. like you know about this so I you know I get it mm -hmm. but yeah I yeah I don't I don't know how I feel about Joyce right now and yeah. that's okay also you know when she says you know the grown-ups should take back the town you know, this episode is sort of the epitome of my continuing thesis that almost every adult in Sunnydale is useless <laughs> so I'm just like I was like yeah grown-ups taking back the town not 
you know, that's probably not a great idea. Points for determination there, Joyce, but maybe not the best actual plan. <laughs> yeah, we had two good adults there. We've lost one of them, so we're down to Giles and Giles. There's some stuff that I will bring up once we get to the the burning at the stake scene, but yeah. Joyce's talk about witches leads into this ritual, and we see this random kid, and it's like, hey, who are you? Um, mm -hmm. It's then, a goth boy. It's yeah. a goth boy, but then we see also <laughs> yeah. Amy's there, and oh my goodness, Willow is there, and it's the symbol oh, that yes. was on the kids. <gasps> the, mm -hmm. the scene quickly switches to at the school, and we are formally introduced to Michael, who would have been really nice to have seen before. Or ever yeah. again. Or ever again, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's one of those, like, one-time characters that you want to know more about, and he kind of fits in with them. So, yeah, it would be very nice. But yeah. I also think that he's a very interesting character to bring in by making him so other and gothy. And reading is gay, which is very othering, especially yeah. in this time period. But Sorry, it, I interrupted you. It's, it's okay. No, I totally understand what you're saying, but... It kind of keeps the expectation that this is a spell down. It's like you understand why these jock guys are picking on this guy first. I mean, it's almost mm -hmm. like after your, um, sorry, I'm going to bring up very scary real world events when you had uh, Combine and all of a sudden all of these goth kids are being attacked because, oh, all goth kids want to shoot up schools. And certainly with satanic no. panics, right. you always had attacks on these goth kids so yes somebody like michael would get attacked before somebody like willow or amy mm -hmm. and again he is very queer coded like even in the moment do you know what i'm talking about am i yeah. way off base no 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 no, 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 no. i think you're right on he's the really really queer coded even that little moment so he has the disadvantage of not only being the goth kid but also the queer kid and like i you know he's not around for very long and i wish we had seen him again because, mm -hmm. like, I knew this guy. Like, I'm like, oh, Michael, baby, you and I sat at Denny's until four o'clock in the morning <laughs> drinking bad coffee and talking about, like, drama and singing yeah. show tunes yeah. in my car. I know that, like, even just looking at him, like, I know this kid. This kid was my friend. And I, like, automatically then just, like, feel really protective of poor Michael. I love yeah. that the jocks get scared the minute they see oh, puppies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's what I love about this scene is it's like the show finally remembered. Oh yeah, people are actually kind of scared of Buffy. <laughs> Even the big dumb big male jocks. MC brought up Columbine, and that actually, if I remember correctly, that's not too far in the actual real life future, is it? Because it happened in '99. Didn't that it? is actually that is the reason why Earshot, Earshot. is delayed, right? And why so graduation I, day part yeah, two? Yeah, so as well. it was kind of eerie watching this and going, "Wait, goth! Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, shit! This is you know, this yeah. is not gonna. This is gonna be more impactful after the fact because yeah, a lot of kids and people that I knew were getting shit because all of a sudden, oh yeah, you're gonna, you're you're the mass murderer when you were just like a benign kid or you were just like a baby, a baby witch, which I knew many of, and you know, in, in pagan circles and stuff, or, or as a friend of mine used to call them teeny bopper witches. You know, it was in, in a not good stop picking on people you don't understand way. So. so I pulled out the Sunnydale High yearbook to look up Michael's entry. Um, and and what does it say? Well, That's interesting. Uh, his his name is Michael uh, Sajak. And one of his nicknames is MC. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, but his activities are math club, dance club, chess club, and tennis. 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 
Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. think that, I think that's just the yearbook writers being super witty. Because a lot of the entries, because I have the same Sunnydale High School yearbook that MC does. I love it. And some of the activities they throw in for these kids that are like one-off episode kids are, are really sly and snarky and stuff like tennis for the goth kid, right? Yeah. Uh, and Cordelia. Um, oh, Cordelia. Contractually Cordelia. mandated Cordelia. <laughs> and she's really reverted to form. Oh, sigh, Cordy. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes when I see these these scenes of Cordy being really mean, it makes me think of that Tyra Banks gif of, we were rooting for you. I mean, I know she'll get better <laughs> again. I don't know. I feel like it's just another reminder. Sunnydale doesn't deserve you, Cordy. Uh, <laughs> real. True. Also, Buffy's hair looks way better than it did in the men's. In this. And you know what? I, I have another note. So the bad bangs aren't, aren't as hidden when your hair is up, but you're trying. Like, you can actually, especially in a higher def television, right, than I would have had in 1999, I can see where the, the hairdressers or the hairstylists are trying so hard to disguise those terrible bangs, which I have no idea whose idea. Was that Sarah's idea? Was it the makeup trailer's idea? Like, oh, let's give her some. Oh, no, that was bad. <laughs> so um, Buffy goes to find Willow and get some books from her. And I like this little bit from between Buffy and Xander where Buffy's just like, you had an affair with your best friend while you guys were both dating other people. Like, yeah, people are going to judge you a little bit. <laughs> That's going to happen, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Xander, you really have no right to complain. Just let it go. Yeah. You know, like, that's... And Buffy does. She calls it She calls it out in a not mean way. Illicit smoochies. Illicit smoochies. Um, I've used that before. Um, <laughs> but smoochies is one of my very favorite words. Like, I'm like, give me the smoochies. But yeah, she calls it out, and it's nice to see... Buffy called Jane Espenson call it out through Buffy towards Xander, which we have all been wanting to know. And mm -hmm. also calling out how Xander is acting because mm -hmm. he's being really weird with Oz and it's Oz. Like he, he doesn't really say anything. So this is right about the time my, my shut up Xander note turns up. This is <laughs> for this episode. There's got to be one per episode, uh, listeners. You can buy our Set Up Xander t-shirt on <laughs> Redbubble or TeePublic. But yeah. the, the little funny scene ends very quickly because then we see that Willow's got the symbol on her stuff. and I do doodle. I, you, you do doodle too. Yeah. So. so I was watching. There's on the on this particular disc on this DVD set, there's a little like short 10 minute feature I called Buffy speak oh, talking yeah. about like how they come up and Jane references this. And she's like, I think Ellie did not like me very much. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they basically say in the thing, if it's a funny line, it's Joss. But in this case, this was Jane's line. This was not a Joss line. This was like full on. And if you've ever heard Jane Espenson talk or write or interacted with her, even on her Twitter, that's how Jane talks. Like, I could see Jane mm. Espenson going, I do doodle, you do doodle, we do, you know, like, it's just very, it's very Jane Espenson. It could have been worse. It could have been Jadoon Platoon on the moon and trying to hide <laughs> a Scottish accent. Everything, it switches so quickly. Once we get into the locker search, like, this episode's chilling. Everything that kind of happens yeah. from this point on, it's like, this is scary. Xander, Playboys? 
really, there are much more explicit things than Playboys around at this point. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know when the locker full of Hustler or Wii yeah. or something like that, you know. I had to shut up Xander because it's like, Xander, nobody cares about your fucking Playboys. Like, yeah. there's not, even if they found your Playboys right now, I don't think you could get in any trouble. Like, they're on a literal witch hunt. Unless it was the Halloween issue, perhaps, and somebody <laughs> jumped to conclusions. <laughs> well, it was it's funny, actually, with the mention of Playboy, I ended up looking up, because it, within the trivia, they're like, Charisma Carpenter and Mercedes McNabb and uh, Christy Swanson actually posed for Playboy. So I actually looked up their Playboy spreads. Charisma's got the best How one are they? in my Christmas got the best one in my opinion. Of course she does. She's got a okay. yeah, of course she does. rocking body, uh, and and they're all very tasteful because it's Playboy and it's all I, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, you know, you uh, see, boobs. I've seen I've seen Charisma's Playboy spread, and I'm like, yeah, or yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. I just made some incoherent noises there. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, I, when I, I have a note here because, of course, I have to go out on my, my undying Armin Shimmer in love. And it's just the fact that Snyder is kind of in his element. He is, like, so turned on by all of this. Oh. It's ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> it's phrase, creepy, but it's he's so good at it, you know? The phrase pig and shit occurs here. Yeah. It is. Ugh. But, yeah, it really, Xander really does tick me off because two of his friends are in trouble. And he's just like, I have playboys. And it's like, this yeah, there's, it's a witch hunt, and two of your friends are witches, so... Uh, yeah, no one cares about you, Xander, really. Yeah. <laughs> you do have to wonder what would happen if the spell hadn't been broken on Buffy. But yeah, so Willow did have this protection spell on Buffy for her birthday, and it gets broken, and it's like, wow. Because this, bu- this birthday is real bad. <laughs> Buffy, I mean, it's the running gag that Buffy has terrible birthdays. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, once again, they're, they're, we don't get in this season, do we? I mean, we get, I mean, obviously she has a birthday. She doesn't like, you yeah, know. There's no birthday the, episode. But there's no birthday episode for Buffy. But there's still just that little bit of the running gag still going that Buffy has terrible birthdays or lead ups to her birthday. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah, Helpless is. Because I think Helpless is actually subtitled 18. Maybe. I, I, I okay. usually see that. That they, in parentheses, it's 18. But, um, and as horrible as the rest of this episode is, that little awe of Oz going with Willow because she's in trouble. It's like, I don't think he's going to be let in, but it's still really nice. No, it's a really sweet, like, yeah, I I, I get that little, oh, as Willow goes, there goes his nation. (gasps) Indeed. And more witch hunting where Giles is getting his books taken away and... This is why you don't keep your books at the school library, Giles. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I do have to give, like, one point to Joyce. It's like, yeah, why the hell are these books in a public school library? In a <laughs> We've public, wondered this many times. In a public school library and being able to be taken out by the students. Like, I mean, I could understand if they were from Giles' personal collection and they weren't in the system. Right. Right, or if they, they were are. in his office or something, but yeah. Like, is the Watchers Council just so cheap that they won't pay for Giles to buy books that he has to do it through the school budget? When I wanted to take out books on the occult and or witchcraft and or whatever, I had to go to the public, the town public library to take them out of our library. Not I couldn't get the witchcraft books in the school library. Just (laughs) So in my school, uh, I mean, granted, this was uh, elementary school rather than high school, 
But our copy of The Princess Bride had the back cover cut so that the word bitch was not on the back cover. Oh, God. Like, they had cut it out so that you could not see the word bitch. Wait, okay. the word bitch is on the back of The Princess Bride? Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's something like... The, what if there was a prince who was a son of a bitch or something? Oh, so, oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Son yeah. of a bitch. Got that makes a lot more sense. I was like, yeah. what? He's but that, yeah, that word was oh. cut. It was it was actually gouged out because it was a hardcover. So they like <laughs> cut. Yeah, it was really. <laughs> I, I will awful. never forget that. Though I mean, like the book that it's what blood rights and sacrifice. That's what's in the library. <laughs> right, that should not be on a. I do love, I do accept the headcanon that the, the Watcher's Council is so chintzy yeah. That, yeah. that Giles is ordering them through the school district. Well, totally. Um, we do find out in, I believe it's Sanctuary, the episode where the Watchers come to see Wesley on Angel, that they're like, all those alchemists on the board and we still have to fly coach. So the Watcher's yeah. Council is canonically cheap. So it's possible oh, yeah. they don't pay yeah. for books. You'd think that, you know, Giles would have, like, a research section where you couldn't actually take them out or something. But it's the forbidden section. You need, you need yeah. a permission slip from uh, Madame Pop... No, not Madame. I'm sorry. I messed up my Harry Potter reference. <laughs> yeah, I should be scolding. Oh, no. I, we know what you mean, though. Yes. Madame Pence. That's it. Yeah. I got there eventually. Snyder says, I love the smell of Desperate Librarian in the morning. That was that spark in their head. They're like, oh, we're totally going to write him as Colonel Kurtz in the episode. Like, that. <laughs> do you think that was, like, sitting in the back of Joss's or the writer's subconscious? Like, do you remember the time that we wrote that line for Armin that was, like, a riff on Apocalypse Now? Let's do that again. So, so you know. We continue on with this witch hunt, and we get Willow having are trying to have an honest conversation with her mother. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God, I would have slapped Sheila so hard. I mean, honestly, I have an academic bent myself, but even I, I was like, I want to punch her in the mouth. I'm just like, shut up. Talk like a human. <laughs> Sheila starts a line with developmentally speaking, and I had to stop taking notes and record it, you know, and I wrote in my notes, oh, crap, am I Sheila? <laughs> <laughs> Because there have been so many times on this podcast where I'm like, well, if you look like Erickson's stages of developmental theory, that's totally where Buffy's at right now. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm Sheila, guys. The fact that Sheila is addressing this from such an analytical, from her own mindset, really does say to me that it is more of the mob mentality of everybody feeding one another than mm -hmm. an actual mystical influence because you notice sheila only gets really upset at willow in this scene when she finds out she's dating a musician, a musician. <laughs> yeah can we talk about the amazingness of the dialogue in this scene oh yeah the line, yeah oh king friday lording it all over all the other puppets uh, is gold i mean that line that is, is great. so genius I'm like, Jane Espenson, you are amazing. I think my favorite a, line in this scene, it, it might not be the line, it might be Allie's delivery, but it's, do you see any goats around here? No, because I sacrificed here. them. Oh yeah, no, that, that that's actually a great line, but it also a, a great delivery. It is, 
I love that. My notes too is my second favorite line. Is do you see any goats around? But just the King Friday line, especially pop culturally for all of us that grew up on Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. I, I mean, I think the. I mean, obviously developmentally and since she's like a developmental psychologist for kids <laughs> no, no no sheila i'm talking as sheila now she of course <laughs> let her kid watch mr rogers neighborhood but then also sat there doing feminist deconstruction of it over her child's shoulder it for, says it's not only she- a funny line it gives you exactly who sheila is yeah you're, right. you're sheila and sheila here is mm-hmm. what you're doing yes <laughs> it's all it's all very meta it's and, Sheila's all the way down. It's <laughs> And we actually do see a lot of this influence in Willow. A couple episodes back when we got Willow with like the really being very firm about her Judaism and later on when she brings up the uh destruction of the um Native Americans for Thanksgiving. Hundred percent Sheila. I think also part of it might influence willow going straight from straight to gay and kind of skipping over bisexuality there's a lot of extremes in willow and i think a lot of that might come from sheila who does seem to have this very extreme personality and we move from one mother-daughter scene to another with uh, buffy and joyce Jan mentioned it a little while ago, but my my note is okay. Joyce, are you Tipper Gore now? Was it the PMRC? The, the PMRC, yeah. which yeah. was the Parents Music Research Council. It was happening around just a little bit before this time frame for our international listeners or younger listeners, which is Tipper Gore, Al Gore, Mister Environmentalist Guy's wife. But she was basically the, the the second lady, the wife of the vice president. Her kids had a copy of Purple Rain, the soundtrack to Purple Rain, and she thought it was pretty cool, you know, Purple Rain, you know. And then the track Darling Nikki, which is like the dirtiest piece of music ever written. Because uh, I mean, it's writing like, something dirty? What? What? I mean, like, but this is beyond Prince's. Like, this is, I, I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs. She heard that and went on this whole, because of her power structure, on this whole campaign to ban bad, so much so that John Denver was like testifying in front of Congress about free speech and musical the like big John names. Denver. The big names were John Denver, Frank Zappa, and Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister. My favorite moment from the uh, the testimony was basically when when John Denver and Frank Zappa came to testify. Al Gore and everyone were like, "Oh, we respect your work," and you know, blah blah blah. blah. And then Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister shows up and goes, "So are you going to tell me you respect my work too?" <laughs> Which is like the best part of the entire hearing. <laughs> so back to Buffy. That yeah. that is exactly what Joyce is acting yes. like. like yes. Let's ban things. Let's you know this is all for our children without actually listening to the feedback mm-hmm. of your actual children yeah. and knowing what your. It's like parental responsibility and parents should be responsible and they should be talking with their kids about problematic things. I mean, obviously this is a supernatural universe, but you know what I mean. Like in general. But in this case, it's like those parents that go so, so far out of their way to protect their children, they're not actually listening to the feedback of their actual children or taking their individual children under consideration of what they could handle or not handle. So that's, yeah, my soapbox. Though, as yep. I, I said earlier, Joyce isn't exactly wrong about those books not belonging in a school library. Though I oh, do, no, those don't, no, they don't. Yeah. Though I do feel like most of those books are probably 
I mean, unless the Watcher's Council really is that cheap, most of those books are probably Giles's personal books. So they should just be at Giles's fucking apartment. But we are now getting to we are now getting to the boiling point of this witch hunt, and mm-hmm. we get the reveal of the dead kids. And best line and- in the scene when Buffy says, "If that's all right with Moo." <laughs> Greatest acronym ever, a fake, you know, in a television show, but like just the way it's just great language play. It's great wordplay. I wonder how much Jane had to work on that acronym where it's like, okay, we need an acronym that works for the group, but then is also like super embarrassing. And I mean, it's like uh, the Society for the Protection of Elvish Welfare. True. And I mean, it's like you do have to work really hard to come up with a bad acronym. I was going to say also, I mean, I know that she, part of this is kind of a play on Mothers Against Drunk Drunk Driving, which is M-A-D-D, so it was mad. But that at least makes sense. The moo thing is just like, okay, so we're a bunch of cows, which is pretty (laughs) damning to the women involved, too, but not necessarily undeserving. (laughs) I think this was probably a writer's room acronym, you know what I mean? Like, like, I love Jane and her writing is so freaking fantastic in this. But this has got to be like, okay, guys, let's sit down and brainstorm on the whiteboard all the stupid, like, Let's erase the whiteboard game. that says, you know, the cavemen versus astronauts. We got to work out some acronyms here. We get for Moo. <laughs> and just the way that Sarah says, if it's all right with Moo, yeah. is fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But after we see the kids, yes. Yeah, creepy, creepy children. Yeah. Okay, so I had this whole, like, revelation watching this episode in this moment. I think that Joyce is a better mother, and we see better mothering from her when Dawn comes along. Like, it seems like for her, having two kids gives her more balance. Like, so even, like, in the world where we have the implanted memories of Dawn and the universe shift... Like, you can see sort of looking back on what people say about, like, Dawn and Buffy's childhoods, how much mellower... Does that? Am I making any sense? It was just this, like, bing light that went off about how Joyce manages yeah. that mothering, like, better with two children instead of just the one. I also think Joyce might be better with younger children than she is with teenagers. Yeah. That, it def- that, that maybe definitely is true, but... Or maybe even more, because she has a focus that is not just her teenage slayer daughter. Yeah. 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 I mean, I definitely think it's a Watsonian thought. I mean, from the Joyless perspective, they just needed to make Joyce a really great mother because they were going to be killing her later that season. But yeah, it's a really interesting thing to like look at. But after the reveal of the dead kids and little kids and shows like this are always fucking creepy. Always creepy. Yeah. Duh. Uh, always creepy. But we get into Buffy patrolling and David's obligatory scene. Earn that paycheck, David. I will say they have an actual conversation. They do. Like, he is really supportive. He down, he holds space for her, he listens to what she says, he doesn't try to give tons of advice. Like, I actually really ship it in this moment because they're communicating and they're, he's, be, you know, it, this isn't about him and this isn't about their doomed love. It's just about him supporting this person. So I yeah. actually kind of really liked his contractually obligated moment. Yeah. No, it's a good yeah. scene. I mean, they don't, yeah, they don't overplay it and they don't, it doesn't have the the angst that so many Buffy Angel scenes have. Yeah. I mean, there's a hint of schmoo 
scoop, but it's it's needed because we've still got the romance going or the forbidden romance, yeah. et cetera. So it's, it doesn't bother me the way sometimes I'm just like, okay, stop. I'm, I'm drowning in slush here. So Well, and also the way he says, like, he talks about why we keep fighting. Like, there is this very subtle shift happening of, Angel's mindset is switching to champion, mm-hmm. yeah. not just reactor. Like, and, and the way he speaks in, in the scene is very much that angel that we're going to grow to love that is the champion. The difference between Buffy and Angel as warriors is that Buffy as the Slayer never had a choice in the matter. It was always a destiny thing, but they've always kind of developed for Angel that it's a choice that he can you know, either mm. sink into the shadows or he can actually do something with his life. And I think we are starting to see that now. One of the things about this speech, Buffy actually talking about, you know, feeling like the boy sticking his finger in the duck. (laughs) I love that that bit. Yeah. (laughs) It almost mirrors the scene, or it's not mirrors, it bookends with the scene in the prom when Jonathan is giving her the class protector award because Buffy feels like she's going out and fighting and she's not making any difference and nobody notices and the people who do notice just kind of resent her for what she does. But then we see in the prom that actually what she does is super important. People do notice. And not only that, despite all of the horrible stuff that has happened in Sunnydale since Buffy got there, before it was worse because the class of 99 has the lowest body count of any other graduating class right and and as we know as viewers which she'll never know is that in a world where there was no buffy it was way way worse so it's it's something that we kind of know that yeah that, that comes in so she's making a difference whether she she is cognizant or not i also love at the end of the scene her conversation with angel sparks her into detective mode she's smart mm-hmm. buff is smart buffy, so yeah. and also i do love how sarah says no fruit for buffy are we just going to chalk up the uh, the fact that no one like literally no one has gone looking for these children's parents to shooty eye beam magic that actually bothered me because as soon as i saw the the dead kids and i granted i you know i've seen the episode before so i knew it was happening but that's the first thing is like you find dead children don't you try to identify them or find their families or put up even like we found these two john and jane does does anybody know who these children are nothing like that at all it's just like I mean, and maybe that's tied in with the demon stuff, but it's it's frustrating. Okay. It's, it, it is definitely Sunnydale syndrome because you know that the police department, with all of these murders and deaths that happen in Sunnydale, they are not investigating all of them because they couldn't because none of them are going to lead anywhere. And with somebody like the mayor around, he's going to tell them to just like ignore it. And we know that the police are tied in with everything because it's like, oh, we'll say it's a gang on PCP. I don't know where the pictures of the kids actually came from. We will accept it as, you know, the demonic influence. But I think the the fact that nobody questioned that nobody ever found the parents came from the fact that this is just the way Sunnydale is. You don't think, like, just local newspaper people would have, like, done the, like, the, the least amount of investigating? I mean, the police, yeah, you're right. They wouldn't bother. Yeah. Not in Sunnydale. Well, so are you saying there is no local news? No, well, no I mean, and, and like, so when they I have an in, airport in Sunnydale, but they don't have a local news show. <laughs> if you remember in Once More with Feeling, Xander 
picks up the newspaper and it says everyone breaking into song demons definitely not involved says officials so that's kind of the level of journalism we've got in sunnydale this episode especially i don't always see it but this very much reminds me of stephen king's dairy yes where nobody everyone is so which is the universe of it where the the supernatural controls the whole like it makes people really blind to what's going on so no in this case and their okay. local news is definitely not local news. It's out of like LA news, I'm almost, or out of a bigger market news because they actually, like, if it was news that actually was being recorded in Sunnydale, they wouldn't be able to talk during Hush. They've, they've got a newspaper. That's probably about it. I mean, my, my one quibble, and it's not a big thing, is that even like since the parents are so involved, you think they'd at least put out flyers or something. Even there'd be no response to it, but just like somebody might be, it's easy enough to, to just kind of. Thematically, that really works that nobody have bothered to look to see who the parents of these children are. If you actually think about it, these two kids mean nothing. They're right. catalysts for everything. So the fact that they have been completely left behind and, you know, what what exactly does this mean? And, and they, it turns out it's something nefarious. So, yeah, I, I, do, I do think that it, it's, it's fitting that the adults in Sunnydale should not really care. The, the gang go to the library and are trying to work out what's going on and... Giles yelling at the computer is adorable. It's so precious. This is this is how you know things have gotten desperate. Giles is using a computer. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love Buffy is so brilliant. She's just so smart. And and, and in terms of like direction and, and cinematography, the shot of their little faces each around that computer, it's really precious. And second of all, it's really a well-balanced shot. So like, yay, director, yay, DP. Like, I just found it to be a really well done piece of direction. And yay, Oz taking an active role in Scoobying. Yeah. Yeah. Filling in for Willow. And it's nice. I like it. And I love that it's 1998. So a mother's first instinct is not taking away a kid's computer when she's grounded. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They've updated their their computer game because that is top. Unlike back in Robot Eugene, where there was that Mac portable that was like, oh, my God, where'd they find that? Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but more interesting, missed a chance for product placement there because they've got a sticker over that apple. Mm. It's true. Yeah, they do have a sticker over that apple. Yeah. Uh, Maybe on purpose at that point. Quite possible. Know, so, yeah. And I, the return of Detective Buffy is always welcome to me. And I like Detective Scoobies because they're all investigating yeah. this. And Oz being able to translate Gilesies. <laughs> of course so he can. What they do in those, like tying it to fairy tales, you know, bringing up Hansel and Gretel and then tying it to the Salem witch trials. It's well thought out. That's actually one of my favorite favorite literary fantasy whatever show it's like one of my very favorite things is when a show or a book takes pre-existing mythology and like breaks it down into this really like this is like the shit that neil gaiman does and he's like my favorite writer supernatural actually does it pretty well sometimes but like for sure that whole neil gaiman american gods kind of it's just one of my favorite literary tropes so i'm always glad to see it I was just going to say, I'm surprised Sheila didn't bring up Bruno Bettelheim at that point, but um, 
Exactly. Just, 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 yeah, because that's one of my favorite tropes too. And for those who don't know, Bettelheim was sort of a, a psychologist, anthropologist who talked about the whole, like a lot of the dark parts of actual fairy tales instead of the sanitized like Disney versions. So all the sex and violence and how that like works in psyche. And also Angela Carver, who's one of my favorite writers who did that a lot also. She she's one of Neil Gaiman's favorite writers. She did stuff like in the company of wolves. In the company so. of wolves is brilliant. Total yeah. book wreck right there. It's so good. Yeah. So again, yeah, a favorite trope of mine also. And they did it really well because it just kind of especially with the flip and that, oh well maybe Hansel and Gretel weren't so, you know, weren't actually the good guys in this. So Fun little bit of trivia, since they do get into the Hansel and Gretel is real and the witch was innocent. Emma Caulfield, who plays Anya, actually goes on later on in Once Upon a Time to play the witch from Hansel and Gretel. Nice! Ah. Yeah. Um, I, I also think this is a really, getting back to, to Sheila, because they go back and forth a little bit, They right? do, it's very back and um, forth scene. Very back and forth, and I think this is really interesting um, and we had that episode really recently and, and both our episodes where parents are affected by something supernatural and become focused away from the actual problems of their children. And it's mm. interesting yeah. that both are written by Jane, who I think actually has a really great understanding of that dynamic. So I just I just thought that like they're really interesting bookends in Jane's like season three career. So. Yeah, especially since they're so close together. It's not like it, you yeah. kind of had a throwback yeah. later on. It, mm -hmm. It's like a re almost a recurring theme with her, which is great. So. Yeah, no, I just think I think she handles it so deftly. And I think it's just we talked about how Jane's entry into this universe is one of the best entries by a writer. Now, when we get Michael running into the library after having been beat up, shit really starts to get real. Um, mm. And we figure out just how in danger Willow is and Buffy is. And I love panic on Oz's face as he figures out that Willow is in danger from her mother. It's just, it's very subtle acting on Seth's part, but it's really good. And one thing that I did mention that I was going to bring up before, and I will bring it up now, I find it very interesting that once we actually get to the point of which we're kind of at the point now where we're going to get people put at the stake. All of the people put at the stake are young women. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. That's historically kind of accurate um, in terms of witch trials and, and that kind of thing. So yeah. actually there should be some older women, but there aren't. So yeah, because Giles has been in trouble throughout this episode because they're his books that they're using to light the fire. Michael is mm -hmm. beat up, but he is not taken away. Yeah. And yeah. Xander and Oz are, while they're not witches, certainly somebody like Moo would see them as culpable. But all of this violence is focused on these young women. And they had the opportunity to take Giles. They left him. Part of that is goes back to the, the whole kind of muddy question of how much mystical influence is going on here. Because the demon, as the kids, keeps referring to the bad girls. Right. Uh, yeah, for sure. Specifically. For sure. I think we've uncovered a misogynist demon. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. granted, a lot of the demons are misogynistic. Well, I mean, it's really interesting because it is the Hansel and Gretel myth that the conflating of a single woman alone in the woods living on her own, right, equals witch, right? Which yeah, that's very much the, the whole crone myth. Thing, so. like the crone myth thing and it's, it's it's again i just think this this mythological thing it's one of my favorite tropes because you then the gang figures out how far back it's gone and into the lore and 
Then Xander wants to trade his cow for magic beans, which uh, Nikki's delivery on that line is great. I just needed to point that out. It's, I just wish Xander took things more seriously. It's like I know yeah. friends are in like this is seriously I think one of the most terrifying episodes. It really what is. What happens to yeah. the girls? Because it's like there is a supernatural influence, but this is their families that are doing it to them. I, it's 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 chilling when Sheila says it's funny, but chilling when she says get your coat. It's chilly out. Historically, I mean, the, the two different groups that usually were targeted by witch hunts or you know satanic whatever were either older, as we said, older single women usually living on their own, or young women because there was a lot of sexual component. And also, where you know, if especially when they turned somebody down, they suddenly became oh well, she's a witch because she tried to seduce me with her powers and blah blah blah, and it gets turned that way. So the fact that our victims here are all young women is actually very telling so it kind of ties in with all that too and i mean of course this doesn't show up in buffy because uh you know you never ever see a person of color in buffy but there is a uh in salem there was a racial element to it because it's like oh it's a slave who started this whole thing and of course one other thing that you have to love here is hey let's we're burning witches let's burn some books too while we're at it oh yeah yeah no it's this very interesting dichotomy where it's like we're going to burn young women but what the men get is their books burned yeah uh, for sure and yeah, the the scene with uh sheila telling willow to get her coat it's so strange it's like because it's like she's concerned about her daughter but then mm-hmm. it's she's gonna kill her so. and, and it's it, a well-delivered line yeah and it's yeah. kind of the same thing with joyce because when joyce is chloroforming buffy and she turns to little kids and she's like, you were right, it was easy. You could tell Joyce had a lot of reservations about it. And these little kids were just like needling at her just over and over again. Like, I doubt Joyce has had a moment's peace without these two, like standing over her, telling her about the bad girls since going, it happened. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I mean, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, you know, the previous episode in terms of Angel and the first evil. When it first started, I almost like when we, I was rewatching it the first time, I almost forgot that there was a demon behind it. I was like, is this the first evil now like targeting Joyce and stuff? That would have been interesting. If only yeah. they had any idea that the first evil was ever coming back. Are we yeah. at the point where we can talk about like the lovely little comedy scene between Giles and Cordy? Oh. I think we are, yes. Right, because it's just, like, it's, there's not, like, tons of, like, but you get the best line, which is the someday you're going to wake up in a coma. And, and also it's funnily horrifically called back in the fact that at you know the end of things when we get to your welcome cordelia will wake up in a coma you know and i, and I like the way this episode is structured because you do get that kind of lightness with the the cordy giles and i love cordy giles interactions but yeah i've said this again you know david has said it we've all said how funny charisma carpenter is while i was watching this watching her just be brilliant at comedy and such great comic timing, I went to look up her IMDb, and she works. Charisma has been working steadily. Mm-hmm. But all her roles are, like, one-offs on procedurals. Yeah. You know, and, and, and her actual, the things that she's really gifted mm-hmm. at aren't, like, the last time Charisma got to be, like, funny and playful and interesting was her episode of Supernatural with James Marsters. Oh, uh, yeah, she was very funny. Where she actually one. gets to do this kind of really broad comedy, but other than that, she's like, one episode of CSI, one thing what? of Chicago PD, and it's just like it's it. 
And Didn't Jeff- she have a recurring role on Veronica Mars? That was yeah, after. That was, yeah. that was before. Super- that was a, but that was a while ago. Yeah, that was like, a while I was, ago. Yeah, but I was but, but it's post Buffy. It is post Buffy, so she had a role on that, and she's really great in that. But mm. all her stuff post that has all mm. been really like one episode of Chicago Fire, one episode of this, what you know, stuff that's very procedural. Or she's like the girlfriend in the Expendables, and you know she's not what she's really good at is not valued. Mm-hmm. So I, it was just it's just that's my tangent about like how amazing I think Charisma Carpenter is, is even in her contractually obligated scenes with Giles. Well, yeah. just to get back to Cordelia as a character, I do love talking about Charisma, but Cordelia as a character, as funny as the scene is. I love that Cordelia realizes how serious the situation is, and her first instinct is to go to Buffy. And and we get Oz and Xander, and with all of the awkwardness that has gone on through the episode with Xander and Oz, question mark, like, we don't know if Oz really cares, but there's definitely awkwardness from Xander's side. The fact that the girls are in danger, they're putting that all aside, and they're just going to try and rescue them. I love it. I think this is the resolution of Xander being uncomfortable around. We said, wouldn't it be nice to have a conversation? I think this is their unspoken conversation. Yeah. Because you don't see them ever having a problem or Xander having a problem. Yeah. And I think it's also, I think we don't see the whole guy thing on the two of them talking on screen partially because I think it's that the guys, guys don't really talk about their feelings and stuff. It just becomes like a kind of, they wave it off. It's understood without getting into that whole deep, emotional conversation yeah there's a little bit of grunting involved but yeah 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 just so we're clear you know you guys are nuts right oz is so fucking underused like i think if oz had gotten more stuff like this to do mm-hmm. yeah seth green might not yeah. have left yep. true very true and i mean granted it is all based around the fact that he wants to save willow I do think he wants to save Buffy too, but it is mostly a Willow thing. And then we have the girls at the stake and Joyce yeah. and Sheila bonding because they're going to go get coffee after all of this because yeah, let's go burn our kids and then we'll go have coffee in the scone somewhere. Ugh. We've talked about this in relation to the mayor and to Snyder and the whole banality of evil thing, yeah. which seems mm-hmm. to be, which seems to actually be coming up in season three a lot. Now that I think about it, mm-hmm. and it's that same, and it's it, it's it's such a great. Both of the actresses play it so well, and it's funny, but it's it's again, it's like the coat line. It's this chillingly, you know, it's this banality of parents not really knowing what their kids want or need, and they're not listening. None of them were listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christine is another one. She's so so funny. That doesn't get credit about how funny Christine can be with her delivery and comic timing. So I just mm-hmm. stand out for me. Yeah. That's how to do comedy, there, ladies. And and now we have a very memorable moment in the Buffyverse because it will go on for what three more seasons at this point, and that's Amy becomes a rat. Enough as, with the Hecate, as you yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she really didn't think things through. Like, I mean, as bad as the situation is, how was she planning to get out of it? Well, I, I my question is, like, did Amy turn herself into a rat? On purpose, or was she trying to turn everyone else into rats? Every other people into rats, and the spell just went wrong. Possibly, I don't know. It's... I'm kind of unclear on that. 
Well, she said I something am... about filthy creature, so I thought, but it's singular from what I remember, so I thought she was trying to turn herself into something. Maybe Hecate's just like, stop invoking me, this is oh. not my thing. Here, <laughs> shut up now. <laughs> it, it is the exact same spell that she uses in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, so I think right, that she's kind of... On- Buffy. Yeah, I think it's well, just kind of the standard spell. Amy so. Amy episodes are pretty Hecate. I think she's meaning to do this not to herself. Okay. Like, I think of that. I, I honestly think that because she has used this spell and turned Buffy into an actual rat. So, yeah, and, and then, like, when Buffy's threatening everybody <laughs> after Amy's turned her rat, she's like, you in the back! You'll be a fish. Yeah, that's one of my favorite <laughs> lines. Like Sarah's delivery of you in the back will so be yeah. fish is so good. So yeah. yeah. And yeah, then Giles and Cordelia are driving to uh to and save it's, everybody. It's so much exposition, but I don't putting care. exposition putting exposition in Tony's mouth is the way to put exposition in your plot because it's he does it so well. You know, exposition in Tony's mouth being said to charisma is really mm-hmm. good it's, because it feels yes, natural. Yeah. And those two are so funny together. I wish they had had more scenes together. And it does feel natural because, of course, you're always going to to this Cordy, not later Cordy. She'll explain a lot of things on Angel that she figures out. But in this Cordelia in Sunnydale, she's the right person to deliver exposition to because Giles knows he's going to have to tell her what's going on and because she's not going to get it. So things really start to like move very quickly from here on out with like everything is like back and forth in like minute long scenes. But we get like the guys playing action hero because they're like going through the the fence. And like we've talked about sometimes when these fight scenes or action scenes happen, we are like, oh, kicky, punchy, fighty. This one is really good because it's not kicky, punchy. But it, it's just this, what the guys are doing, what Giles and Cordelia are doing, what the girls are doing. It's it's a really well-balanced, without it being kicky, bunchy, fighting. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I, I really like that. Then it goes back to the, the girls, and Buffy kind of realizes what's going on with Joyce, and, you know, can, like, see that these kids are talking to Joyce. And it's like, dead kids are talking to you. Like, what are you doing? And a little bit of Ripper. A little, little bit. <laughs> little tiny bit of Ripper is hot. And, but they get in and Cordelia's, it's like, as it's like we've had the boys like up in the vents playing action hero, but Cordelia's the one who actually saves them. Cordy's mm-hmm. awesome. But also sprays yeah. down the mob. <laughs> yes. I love her spray. I yeah. know. And, then, like, and also it's like, like, Cordy, put out the fire. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like her hosing down the mob. <laughs> idiot because they deserve to be hosed down and after giles does the spell and the two kids become the big demon i love the way charisma says i like the two little ones little the the way she says the word little exactly yeah Yeah. it's uh, yes you're right i'm like i crush on her so hard when she just little (laughs) for a demon that we only see for like a couple of minutes it Mm. looks really good yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. The, the, no, the, morph, the morph is very 1999, but whatever. The mo- the creature itself is really... Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty well done. Yeah. Get the bad girls. <laughs> Not <laughs> as convincing in that outfit. No. And this seems to happen a lot this season, and it's not a detriment to the season. I actually think it's in its favor. A lot of the demons, the one-shot demons that they have, they don't have these big fight scenes with them because they really don't matter. It's not about that. It's about everything leading up to that. Yep. And I particularly love it in this episode when it's like Buffy breaks the stake and is just like, did I get it? 
Yeah, I think I like this episode way more than I ever realized I did. Yeah, no, Sarah's Did I Get It is gold. Yeah. Her delivery yeah. is gold. really good. It breaks the tension, and then the boys falling through the Right, because the boys actually, as much as they wanted to help, did nothing. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. No, no. The women saved themselves from the burning stake, which I think is really, I actually really like that the boys don't save the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the show purposefully, it's a show about yeah. a woman who's strong and a, a superhero. So, of course, the boys can't see it. I think especially in this episode, when you do have this coded misogyny, where you have all of the girls being victimized, having Cordelia and Buffy being the ones to do the heavy lifting in terms of saving, I think is very important. Because, I mean, even Giles, like his making the demon reveal itself is very secondary to what Cordelia and Buffy do. Yeah. yeah I, I think it's a very important message too. So I'm glad that they keep to the message and the theme of the show in general. Uh, is this, correct me if I'm wrong, this is one of the very last true monster of the week episodes that we get, right? This season? Um, um, just in general. I mean, we have some monster, like obviously sweet in the musical no, is a monster of the week. There's and monsters there are of the week. In no. terms of structure, just structure this feels like the real monstery monstery like look this is the monster that we're going to play with not a monster that is maybe i'm wrong i would i would disagree like with that i can i can name a bunch of them off the top of my okay. head yeah uh, i mean mm. even this season we in the zeppo we get the the zombies which only turn up in one episode and the yeah, demon dogs the, yeah 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 we get the penis monster in double meat palace <laughs> So yeah. Oh, I, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we okay. we do get monster of the weeks. They are just very they're they're a lot more hidden because you get more running plot lines that kind of are peppered through. I think that's what it is. It's just not fully like here's our monster, here's our plot. It's self-contained within this yeah. 45 minute time frame. Yeah, I think we'll definitely get some monsters of the week, but in terms of structural monster of the week episodes, mm-hmm. that's yeah. not tied into the larger plot. This one feels like one of the final, like, this is the monster and it's not wrapped up in much. Yeah, you mean standalone episodes too, right? Stan- yeah, what yeah. I mean, yes, yeah. I, I not, don't, I, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying, but I think, yeah, it's more. Yeah, things get more plot archy as as we go along. Fair That's enough. That's what I mean. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. I, I can't understand that. The biggest bit of arc I would say is the Joyce's acceptance of Buffy as a Slayer, which yeah. you can get from context in this episode. So yeah, this is very much a standalone episode, and and we're gonna get less I, of those coming. Al- yeah, I think I meant standalone. Yeah. I think I didn't mean monster. Mm-hmm. I think I meant standalone. Yeah, I think that's where you were going with that. Yeah. yeah. Yes, wrong words, right sentiment. It's fair enough, because, I mean, Monster of the Week is often used with Buffy uh, to talk about standalone episodes, so they are used interchangeably a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also, I think, goes back to the X-Files, when you would talk about mythology versus Monster of the Week. versus, yeah. My brain captures on to that sort of language, because I was also very much watching the X-Files at the time. Well, because the X-Files was so big, Buffy did use the monster of the week format yeah Yeah, so but we get to our final scene and it's our little denouement scene and it's a nice scene of the girls hanging out together and i love 
yes. scenes of the girls hanging out. And mm-hmm. I also like... Yep. Buffy and then Oz help- has to come over for... Yeah, Oz has to come over for dinner. But I like that Buffy's helping out Willow with magic. Yeah. We don't see yeah. that a lot. And I have to wonder why Michael's not ha- helping her. Yeah. Because, I mean, they seem yeah. to have, like, a little... It seemed like they were in a coven together. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what mm-hmm. was going on. But that doesn't get followed up on again. But, Which is too bad because, like, yeah, this queer-coded goth kid, I want to see more of that kid, but yeah. that's just me. Yeah, I would love to, like I said, I would have loved to have seen him again, even if he was just, like, Jonathan-level recurring character, just because he just disappears. He's there, he's important in the story, and then he just disappears, and it would be kind of neat to have Willow have some other, you know... Mm-hmm. Magical Which, friend. Well, magical if, friend who kind of understands her and is also... But it's different, so... If I recall correctly, they did like Michael, and they had thought about bringing him back but the problem was because this was so close to the end of high school that Mm, when they did come up with some like high school characters they couldn't figure out a way to organically bring them into the next season so i kind of get that but it also Mm. is kind of a bummer because i mean you could have your townies like xander or also Mm -hmm. it's uc sunnydale i'm sure there's a lot of sunnydale kids that are gonna end up going there that's what i was thinking yeah yeah and also just from personal experience even if you went away to college you come back home you still have your local friends that you hang out with at least i did you know Mm -hmm. you know until you go back to school so like i said he could have shown up on occasion but it is a bummer because he was interesting I was also very enamored of the color of the smoke. It was just a really pretty pink. (laughs) Um, Nice way to go out in a visual pretty. So going back to 1999, back on the early days of the internet and internet theories back in those days, there was a theory going around that I was kind of wondering about up until we get to something blue that they got the wrong rat. (laughs) 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 oh that's you know i I, as theories go i really i love that that it's just like some normal freaking rat this is like hanging out i think that's i like the theory good job early internet adopters yeah that that was the theory up until something blue and that something blue makes it very clear that it actually is amy i will bring this up again in wrecked but, I mean, there's not going to be a very natural place for me to bring this up in future episodes, but I do judge the fuck out of Willow. The fact that she gives up on helping Amy very, very quickly. I mean, I think we yeah. get one more mention of how's the whole Amy thing going. And she talks about how she got her, like, this whole have a trail. And she's like, oh, no, like, the spell's not working yet. I think Willow just fucking gave up. And she, frankly, forgot about Amy. And that's really kind of not cool. She forgot about her and just... Stop thinking about her as Amy and more of like that pet rat. She dehumanized. Yeah. Her, yeah. 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 She's like, I mean, I'm not saying she didn't feed and take care of a rat. She obviously did. But she switched her mindset from this is my friend that needs rescuing to, oh, look, I got a pet rat. Yeah. And obviously we will get into it when we get wrecked. But she does not even attempt to bring Amy out of it until she's lonely and needs a friend. Mm. Which really sucks. And a friend who will enable her. her. Yeah, and yeah. enable her. That's the perfect term. Oh mm-hmm. boy, we're going to have a lot to talk about when we get to season six. Uh, so I think final thoughts on Gingerbread. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I think it's a good episode. Um, it's it's different. It really is. It kind of has a very different texture to most of Buffy. Damn, maybe that's not quite the right word. No, but. that's definitely, I know what you're saying. It, the antagonists in this episode are not only humans, but they're 
people that are supposed They're... to love and protect our main right. characters. So it, but that's it, a that's a trope that I actually love. It, you know, as I said, like the you know the monsters um, are due on Maple Street or mm-hmm. the episode of Torchwood's Countryside where you find out that you know the 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 enemy really is the real monsters are us. Which is, I mean, granted there is like the, the uh, supernatural catalyst in this, but basically the mm-hmm. parents are the monsters if you think about it all the way through. Since you've mentioned it twice, I will say to all of our listeners, if you have not watched The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street and the remake, The Monsters Are on Maple Street, which is from the original Twilight Zone and from the 2000s version, uh, they're both really good episodes and they both have twists in them, which I will not reveal because... Yeah, don't spoil it. Because they're really great <laughs> that, twists. really but, great. But they are remakes and they are relevant for the, their different they're different twists and they're both really really good i just that's one of the tropes that i like where you find out that the real monsters aren't the the aliens or the the demons or this or that 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 a lot of it is coming from people's own the base part of humanity which unfortunately is way too relevant i think this episode my feelings toward it now that you're talking you know final thoughts is i'm way more into this episode than i think i ever was before and I'm really sorry for being Sheila all the time on the podcast. Like next time I do it, I'm going to continue to do it because you know I will. Oh. I'll you'll be like, "What up, Sheila?" Yeah, I, I'll continue what I'm saying, but I will take I will take the loving jibes at my you know. It's what I do. It's what I know. It's like my educational yeah. background is the theater stuff and the acting and the child developmental stages, clinical psychologies. If, if you start to get too deep so, into yeah. it, we will go, you know, careful there, Sheila. Just say back off, Sheila. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I really, I found this episode really compelling. It mm-hmm. zips along. It's really well paced. The acting is really on point. Uh, I love real world, quote unquote, like explanations for mythological stuff. Because like Neil Gaiman stuff is my crack. I, I really like this episode. Way more than I ever thought I did. Yeah, I sort of have a, a love-hate with it. I, I like it. I like the storytelling. I just, my one issue with it, but that's personally, it's just, I think the parents are so horrible that that it's discomforting to me because I want to just like scream and shake somebody and say, stop it, stop it. But that's yeah. just because my reaction to mob, you know, mass hysteria, mob mentality kind of thing, you know, stop being a sheep, don't follow the herd, figure out what's going on. But it has a happy ending, so we're good. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, uh, where I sit on this episode, it's like, this is a really good episode for me, but it's an uncomfortable episode to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in some ways, that's really, really good. But it's also like, <gasps> I don't know if it I is, sit but here. I think when a, an episode does that to us, it actually shows like good writing, good plotting, good, oh, uh, met- good metaphor. So I kind of like it when things make me uncomfortable, like, but and this is one of those ones that makes me uncomfortable but i think really works in its uncomfortability unlike other episodes that i think are meant to make us uncomfortable that i'm like that's just gross i have to say about this episode is we've had a lot of episodes that we've said it's like i want to like this episode but because of what we're doing for the podcast like breaking everything down i don't enjoy it as much Mm. i think this episode is the exact opposite of that where it's like this is an okay episode but when you actually like dig into the meat of it it's really a lot more interesting yeah yeah no i think it is the converse of stuff we usually do yeah in in terms of trivia for this episode i've only got one note for this and that's when they're going through the articles 
about the the dead children. At one point, the author for one of the articles is Howard Fine, which is a reference to the Three Stooges. <laughs> yep. 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 And that's just a small thing. That is somebody in, I guess, the props department. I don't know if they actually get to, like, write up texts. I mean, I know, like, for big movies, they will actually, like, buy, like, pre-made texts. But somebody somewhere along the line was just having fun with that kind of stuff. And mad respect for that. I love these little, like, blink if you miss it Mm -hmm. fun inside joke things. So I think, yeah, that's it for Gingerbread. We all kind of enjoyed it and really like digging into it. So next week we will probably have less fun because it's Buffy's birthday. And Buffy's birthday is never fun. And that's never good. No. She just needs to yeah. stop growing older. <laughs> I'll have lots to say, yeah. yeah. But next time we'll be reviewing Helpless. So until then, grr, arg. Grr to the arg, yo. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. <laughs>